Hello and welcome to the very 162nd episode of the Shut Up and Sit Down podcast, the podcast all about board games, board games, and the people who love board games. My name is Matt Lees and I'm joined by Ava Foxfort. Hi. I'm going to be talking a bit later on about Cuphead, a fast dice rolling game, which is based on a video game and it's just as hard and horrible and you might love it, but you might hate it. And Ava is going to be talking about the dice of the dead. Yeah, which is all dice and coffins and shaky, shaky, dice, dice, coffin, coffin. Shaky, shaky, dice, 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 coffin. It's, couldn't have said it clearer myself. This is, of course, the Dice Head Special. Two games, both of which featured dices and heads. Very clever. Very, very clever. Um, without further ado, let's do a, a nice little jingly bit and do the podcast. <laughs> So dead on time for Halloween, uh, I think, <laughs> um, I found time to play a little bit of Dice of the Dead by James Allen and Mark Stockton Pitt. This is a dice-heavy game with Mexican Day of the Dead theming, which has been consulted on by a cultural consultant, which means that the people have done at least some of their legwork, hopefully. And it means that the game is pretty beautiful. Mm. It is literally about rolling the bones. I mean, it's not. It's about rolling dice, and it's about they are souls rather than bones. And you are rolling these colourful dice in ludicrously beautiful coffin-shaped things. Talking of communicating with the dead, but I remember us uh, reporting on this in the Games News on the website. It was a gorgeous thing, a very colourful, bright... These little coffins fully lean into that intricacy and... Oh, God, I can't say... (laughs) Intricacy. Is that because it's not a word? I don't know. I couldn't say DNA the other day, so don't worry about it. (laughs) Intricacy is definitely a word. Intricacy. I'm I'm pretty sure. I I I put my 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 writer's badge on that. I haven't used my writer's badge for a long time. It's in a drawer somewhere, but I'm I'm pretty sure it's a word. No, I think I just I'm, I'm saying into Chrissy instead of intricacy. Who? Oh, who's Chrissy? <laughs> so, <laughs> sorry, sorry. I'm glad that this is all. I'm glad this is all fudgy enough that it's not going to make the edit. You might be surprised. <laughs> there is an intricacy. And elegance and floral, beautiful colourfulness to these little coffins and to everything in this box, actually. Like one of the things, I, I got a big package of prototype things from Quinn's that I had pretty low expectations from because Quinn's mm-hmm. was like, oh, I think these are all going to be interesting, but not great. And I was like, okay, that's fine. That's a, an interesting judgment to make. Um, and I opened it up and I had such a lovely time building a lovely little set of stairs that is the stairs that your souls are trying to get back to the world of the living by by getting dice onto these stairs. Um, although it's a slightly weird thing where thematically you're trying to get a soul to the land of the living by going up these steps. But in practice, what is happening is if each of the dice is its own soul, then <laughs> what's happening is they are like climbing over each other. Yeah. Because <laughs> you're putting a, sto- a dice, a soul on each step of this stairway. But this is, this is an actual a, yeah. stairway. Like it lifts up a bit off the boards. Um, it's chunky. There's little bonuses printing on it and they're clear. Like it does mean you have to sit around the table in a very particular way. Like you've all got to like a little amphitheater thing so right. that you can actually see it properly. Um, but that's nice. I actually quite like playing games that way rather than across the table so that everyone's got like the same perspective on things. Hmm. Um, 
So yeah, so that's really lovely. So what do you actually do in the game? Well, it's mostly rolling dice. Um, you start off with a couple of dice in a little like waiting area and you've got a load of dice available in a pool. Uh, you will also uh, un unsettlingly unlock special dice in which some of the numbers are wild, which are referred to as, wait for it, Matt, power souls. <laughs> <laughs> which I'm not entirely convinced is a no. They're, they're of real. Traditional. They are. They are canon. They are. I've been there. You've got to be very careful. Do you remember that old uh, ancient video game Cubert, where you had to get the little orange guy to jump down the stairs, right, and avoid things? <laughs> yeah. It's the opposite of that. To get your soul into the land of the living, you have to jump up the stairs. But uh, if you land on a power soul, then you jump <laughs> twice as high. I mean. I'm I, I I yeah I I'm enjoying this in my mind uh, purely because I, but I think I feel like in a way like climbing up a staircase of other souls to to escape into the land <laughs> of the living feels more like a kind of Greek mythology thing to me you know like that kind of like um the the underworld and Hades sort of thing I can, that that's the vision I'm getting in my mind with a kind of touch of Hieronymus Bosch chucked in there for good measure which is maybe not the vibe I should be getting. Is this, is my brain yeah. gone wrong? Well, I don't know. I was thinking about this and it's probably something I'd like to do more research on, to be honest. But like, for me, I don't know whether it's because I've received too much of the Disney-fied vision of the Day of the Dead. <laughs> but I've always, I've always understood it as being a view on like the kind of veil getting thinner thing. It's actually a lot more like death positive and like actually we're here to spend yeah. some time with people who have already died like we're going to do we're going to celebrate these people being able to kind of like be in contact with us just a little bit more to whatever extent you believe that and you get to just enjoy that and spend time hanging out and getting nice food for that person and sharing memories and stuff and that's all stuff that i'm really really positive so yeah, it's, yeah. It, it, it does seem very odd that you're clambering well, on the souls of other souls but i don't I mean, think maybe... that's what it's explicitly going for it's one of those no. accidental theming mismatch things oh i'm just now viewing it in a different way of being like is it the idea and actually this is this is almost such a sweet thought that i'm making myself sad um but is it that you know um the the souls of the dead supporting one another to ensure that the people oh. who need to reach out most are reached to the top and lifted like a little ladder to be like, you need to, you need this. Um, oh, maybe that's, Matt, that's lovely. <laughs> maybe that's what it is. Maybe that's the idea. I don't know. I hope so. Because if it was clambering, so. if it so. was clambering on top of each other being like, I need to see my grandson, then uh, <laughs> then that's that's kind of a horrifying flip side to the idea of everyone having nice meals yeah. and remembering the, those who've passed and being like, oh, they were so sweet. Hopefully they'll enjoy this and enjoy that we care about them. Whilst on the other side, people are like, get out of my way! <laughs> <laughs> and like crushing one another and in reality this game is like that is really really lovely but we are absolutely projecting too much onto it yes this game is abstract enough and um simple enough that it's quite hard to get any of those sort of thematic elements out of it like it's a dice rolling game where you're trying to get a load of dice through a load of coffins but let's talk about the actual thing because i'm still still not got to the actual thing that you're doing in this game on your turn, you choose one of the four coffins. Um, the coffins move during the course of the game, which is one of the more interesting things here. Um, so the one that's in the first position is always open and you can see what's in it. But as they move up, you close the coffin and you're only allowed to look in it as a result of particular game mechanics. Ooh. So there's a bit of like memory in working out what dice you have got in what places. Um, and on your turn, 
you take a coffin that is in a particular place and you do the action associated with that place. <laughs> now, this is mostly, if it's the first coffin, you're putting dice in. The rest of the coffins are about looking at the dice, having the dice battle each other. So you roll the thing and whoever's got the most highest dice within that, um, within that coffin they win that coffin and then will either get to move up or upgrade something or remove some other people. There's one that removes dice if they end up with the same numbers. Um, and the final one, whoever wins the comparison of souls, which I, I honestly have to say that one of my favourite little bits of rule is like, shake the coffin and compare souls, um, which is a nice, <laughs> nice tiny bit of text. Um, and whoever wins that thing gets the highest dice, gets to put one of their thing, their dice, their souls on the step. Um, and that's one step towards getting to the top. Twelve of those, nine of those, I can't remember which. Um, and you've won the game. Um, and that's 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 nice, right? There's there's nice ideas in there. You've got like good dice checking randomness. Now, actually, like. <laughs> Very weird thing here is that the manual is like very specifically um, says like in bold letters quite near the beginning, make sure that you have the coffins the right way up. Um, the larger side is the lid. And I was like, yeah, that's how lids work. They always have to be larger in area so that you can fit it on top of the other side. This is wrong. By larger, they meant deeper. Um, right. And this is much more important than you'd expect because when we were playing this game, <laughs> we had them the wrong way round, and you would lay them on the table and nobody could see the dice because they were in the deep side of the coffin, <laughs> um, which made the whole thing just a little bit more like more like drab because it was like, like Quinns was talking recently about like really getting excited about getting to throw dice in games again. And yeah. I played this and was weirdly disappointed because I'd got so hyped for like rolling loads of dice. Uh -huh. And there was something about like shaking, the shaking was lovely, but then putting them out, revealing them, and then having to peer over to do a load of comparison of numbers. It wasn't, it wasn't as immediate as I wanted it to be. Um, now, part of that is because we messed up, so that's not a problem. But I think that actually comparing the numbers of lots of dice isn't as excited as like rolling a dice and knowing what happens immediately. So even if you have got that extra vision on it. Um, but that is my tip for anyone who gets this game is make sure that you've got the dice the right way around, um, which is a very bizarre thing to be saying. Um, and some of the coffins will get you little bonuses and tokens that will let you strategize and get in the way of things that other people are doing and all of that sort of stuff. And yeah, there's cute ideas. There's a lot of dice. Um, rattling coffins full of dice is inherently satisfying. Mm. And it's fine. <laughs> it's one of those games that is, um, has got nice enough ideas in it. But it's not that they don't land, because um, I think they do. I think it's just, it's, it's quite light and breezy. You can win quite abruptly. Um, and if you have a fully functional memory then it's kind of a bit too easy. Right, um, yes. Whereas I, within the theming of the game, I would be quite frequently cracking open coffins to remember who I'd put in them. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> they put, oh, yeah. Oh, it's them. And I think that that's supposed to be part of it, but that felt with the group that I was playing with that that wasn't, that wasn't yes, quite the case. Because yes. um, I, I someone no suggested, memory, so yeah. Yeah, someone suggested basically that it might be a game that's good if you are playing with um, uh, kids or drunks. Yes. Which, and I think that it is a game, it's a, probably a bit big for a pub game, a bit chunky. 
Um, but I think you would have a lot of fun and get a lot of interesting stares playing this in a pub on a night out. Um, so it is almost, I don't know how people like to spend Halloween because I'm a bit, I'm not very good at enjoying Halloween. But like, I guess if you wanted to go for a pub on a Halloween and you wanted a vaguely themed thing. So it's a good thing that we are just in time um, 11 months before. Yeah, get yourself ready for Halloween next year um, by thinking about this now. Um, yeah, on point as ever, it's the Shut Up and Sit Down podcast. Not <laughs> always on time, but we're always here eventually. I have been given a little uh, a little try of one of the games that I got sent via our shucks, the big weekend event we had not long ago in which we played things uh, for so many hours over a long period of weekend. And it was interesting for me because I kind of got taught games. But at the same time, because I was learning these games in the run-up to the event and I was very tired, um, it felt like actually playing them um, was sort of a dream state that didn't exist. So it's been fun to go and actually play stuff again as, a, as an alert, awake human. And I gave a go again, to Cuphead, the rolling dice game, um, which is a spin-off of the Cuphead universe now, I guess. They're actually making a cartoon based of Cuphead, which is a video game based on a fictional cartoon. And personally, hate to be a stickler, but as I said at the time, I don't like it when they do that. I, I think it's really cool when people make these fictional IPs in a way, these these like things that don't exist, but kind of pretending like maybe they do to a degree... And then when people go, hey, guess what? We're making it actually real. That's sort of seen as being like a really cool thing. Well, actually, I think it's the opposite. <laughs> I think leave things, let be things be fictional. Um, yeah, I don't actually want to see someone produce a uh, song called The Monster Mash that isn't the Monster Mash we know, but is the Monster Mash they're dancing to in the Monster Mash song. Exactly. You don't need to. It doesn't need to exist. Um, it's not clever. Just leave it alone. But anyway, I'm fine with, like, you know, board games. That's fine. Like, it's unless there's a fictional board game. Like, if someone made Cones of Dunshire for real, that wouldn't be funny. Anyway. Um, and <laughs> I'm probably amazed have that, that so hasn't I don't happened know. yet. It, I mean, maybe it has. Maybe it has. maybe it has. I don't know. Anyway, um, this is hard as hell in a horrible way. And that is... Probably not going to be a surprise to anyone who's familiar with the video game. Cuphead is a video game which is stylized around a kind of 1920s, 1930s style, um, maybe earlier than that, actually. I'm historically ignorant. Um, cartoon, effectively. So it's like kind of that very early Disney style where everything was slightly jaunty and rolling around in a way. Everything was racist. Um, they had to kind of cut a lot of that out in the video game because they were just sort of going back and copying a lot of did, old did, things. And then they were like... Did they actually like, cut all of that stuff out in the end? Because I think I, um, I kind of like saw a little bit of scandal around that and I wasn't sure... You know, maybe they whether. didn't. I think they, I think they cut the worst of it out. Let's be real. I think, you know, it wasn't just like overtly like really racist but i think probably not is the answer to that because i think that so much of the characterization the caricatures at that point in cartoons were just overly wild and uh, there was definitely a tendency in the same way that i don't know modern language like french will be like this is a table it's a lady this is a chair it's a man sort of thing that those those may actually be incorrect i don't know french um but having this weird attribution they did seem to have a tendency to be like Everything, whether it's a animated crow or an animated uh, can of 
beans would would inherently have like qualities that would be like it's male it's female it's black it's white and unfortunately in that period things were massively racist everywhere um and so you did have these quite strange things going on some of that stuff probably got copied again um i'm not going to get into that because i don't really know whether or not they actually did a brilliant job or an okay job but i (laughs) i haven't looked at all the cards in this this is not a review so if there is something really bad in there i don't know about it sorry um Anyway, getting derailed now by my own worry wagon. But the general theme of this is the fact that it's a game based on a fictional cartoon and it's horribly hard. It's an action game, which is basically just boss fight after boss fight after boss fight. You have to just constantly learn these incredibly difficult attack patterns and find time in between them to chip away at gigantic health bars by piddling away at them with a pea shooter. Um... And some people absolutely adored this video game. I didn't play it personally because I do like challenging games. I do like hard games. But this looked to be um, just aggressively sadistic, if I'm honest, in terms of how difficult it was and how much it just required you to learn patterns constantly that I thought, nah, I'm all right at the moment, even though it looks really cool. The board game is interesting in the fact that it's a fast rolling dice game as it says in the title whereby it's a team game you're working cooperatively to try and beat these bosses and each of you has like a handful of dice six dice that you roll to try and match symbols on cards that are put in front of you which represent the bosses so you've got these you open up the box and you've got these uh, eight different sealed boxes that are like the boss decks each of these um, decks of cards is basically like a level effectively that you're going to play and try and beat and each of these decks of cards then take you through a series of boss fights fighting different things and i must say as somebody who hadn't played the video game there's some really fun stuff in here straight away like you know you're fighting uh fighting a grumpy potato then you're fighting a sweet looking little onion that's crying and then you're fighting like an angry carrot and um and yeah, it's like there's some really lovely character design in here. It's really fun. So immediately it's like, yeah, this is fun. This is cool. The game itself is super simple as well. Like you were just like literally going, okay, there's X many players, so it has this much health. And then all you have to do is draw cards and it's going to be the three or four attack cards that are coming from the boss that round. And then you look at what you have to roll and everyone has a set amount of time either 10, 15, or 20 seconds to just keep rolling their dice as many times as they need to to get the symbols they need in the order they need to block the attacks that the boss is dealing out. So it might be like, you know, you're going to need to do the legs to like run out of the way or you need to do the jumping foot to jump or the kind of splashy head, which represents like the character ducking down. Or, you know, sometimes you need to actually use your finger guns to shoot to actually block another shot attack. But the trick is that across your little player board in front of you, you've got two dice slots in each of these four different sections that represent the four potential attacks that might be coming from the boss each round. And you only have to fill those gaps with the dice that you need based on the card. So often what the case will be is in the early game, especially, you'll actually only have each of these attack cards. Okay, you you need to have like one of these. You need a, a hand slap, you need a jump, and then you need a run. And then it means that effectively you've got six dice. And of these potential three attacks, you have six dice slots, but you only need to use three of those slots to actually block the attack on each of those cards. And that means that the rest of those slots can be filled with finger guns, which are actually going to do some damage to actually kill the boss. So it's kind of a... 
an interesting one in the fact that you cannot go backwards at any point. As soon as you put a dice on your board, it's locked in place. And as soon as you move on to the next card and you, you block the next one, you can't then fill that earlier gap, which means if you have gaps where effectively you don't need to roll both dice to be different types of dodges to, to dodge the whole attack, which often is the case quite quickly in this game, then you really might want to keep re-rolling your dice to try and get a pea shooter that then you can slot into that gap and then move on to the next card to basically try and uh, try and get more blocks. And um, it's just hellishly hard. It's really hard um, in the fact that, you know, every time you don't manage to fill your slots with the required dodging things or blocking things, you lose a health. You've only got three health. Once you've lost all your health, other players can like revive you by using special tokens they can collect, but you come back just with one health and you can't get any upgrades or any extra powers or anything like that for the rest of the level. And if at any point somebody dies and can't be revived, everybody loses. So it's kind of a case of being able to like keep people hanging in there to a degree but it's unrelenting in a way I've not experienced in a cooperative design for a long time. And the fact that like everybody kind of needs to be as good as each other, you can't like support somebody. Um, if somebody just can't do it as well as you, then you can keep them hanging in there initially, but not for very long. And then you just have to keep starting the whole thing again because you've lost. And we did find that much as with very difficult video games, there is an element of... Um, perseverance that gets kind of baked into you of being like come on no let's start this again let's try and do it um but it, it's just and it's hard to say because the thing about this is like i've got to say like the, the production values of this are absolutely gorgeous it's a beautiful box um having these eight little boxes with different decks of cards in for each of the different encounters and then having things as you go on like being able to earn coins and spend them on upgrades and having a little like you know pad and paper so you've got a save file so you can remember what you've got and remember things and carry on from where you've gone it's, it's a lot of delightful stuff in here but i just think like do i really want like i can't think of a scenario where i want a really horribly punishing um cooperative game <laughs> well actually that's not true even like because because like the arkham horror card game is a horribly punishing cooperative game right yeah there was something about this that just felt so aggressively mean in a way that wasn't necessarily funny. Yeah. You know, at least with at least with Arkham, it's like you kind of you're all playing characters who are probably doomed. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, it's definitely an interesting thing to put into that sort of video game. Because obviously, like if you're representing that kind of uh I wanna say bullet hell, I don't know if that's technically correct for, for Cuphead, but like that kind of brutally hard game where you have to learn and retry and do it again and again and again and again until you are ludicrously skilled at this very particular set of finger movements. Yeah. Like that's the vibe, right? So it makes sense that they're going yeah. for that. But how does that translate into cooperative stuff? I mean, you do get two-player co-op um, games that are that, are that sort of yeah. genre. But for me, mostly, I think of that as being something that is like, this is a thing about generating a sense of flow with myself. Yes, and yeah. Getting that with a load of people, that could be very cool if everyone's getting it. But also, like, I, you know, I can't forget, like, playing uh, Concordia Venus and being in a team with Quinns <laughs> and having to, like, be like, 
oh, is it your fault or my fault that this has gone wrong? And whenever it's explicit, it can be a really unpleasant moment if you don't feel like you can help each other and you've got that shared responsibility. I've actually been playing a lot of The Mind recently and like the extent to which some of the stress of that game is smoothed over by the fact that it is very clearly never just one person's fault if something goes wrong. Like there is no way to go wrong in that. I mean, there are actually a couple of ways, but there's very few ways where it's going to be your fault if everyone loses. It's always yeah. shared. And that means you you can say that to people all of the time and it makes, it reassures from that stress. This sounds, yeah, like it doesn't do that, especially if you can't even help each other. So it's not cooperative in terms of cooperating so much as cooperative as in like you are doomed together, um, which could <laughs> get some powerful moments, but you're going to need the right people to get that. There were some uh, like elements that were like there's elements of it that were kind of it's a very light game I should add which is it's kind of a funny one right because it's it's a light game in terms of rules but then it's very very hard um, which is an odd mixture and I did enjoy some of the elements where you have the fact that if you can beat a boss before it finishes its attack sequence then you don't have to finish its attack sequence right yeah there are some really lovely rounds from time to time whereby we had a thing where you go look there's four attacks this round but if we can both get like this space here and this space here with attacks then we can basically we can beat the boss before it even gets to the second half of it right yeah that's quite fun and quite interesting because it means then you're in this horrible zone of rolling dice and you know that like everyone is kind of relying you're all relying on each other to get the right results otherwise people are in real trouble and it's really exciting when you do pan that out and you do get it and you're like yeah um because otherwise you are leaving this gaping hole in your defense at the end of it that might just end you all yeah so that's really fun that's really neat and um but yeah, I feel like the, the thing about flow and zone is really, it's kind of bang on in a way. And the fact that um, when I was playing, I was just playing it as a two-player game. And there was moments where I felt in the zone and moments where the other person I was playing with felt in the zone. Um, but when we weren't both in the zone, it was kind of like, it was, yeah, it was not like I was getting annoyed or we were getting annoyed, but it was kind of jarring and I didn't feel great when you looked up at the end of, you know, 20 seconds. Because to be honest, it was so hard. We were playing with 20 seconds rather than 15. You know, it was just like, ah. Um, And realizing that you'd managed to do everything successfully and then also chuck in some extra bonus dice and the other person had had a a minor brain melt and done basically nothing and (laughs) lost most of their lives. You know, it's like, you kind of just felt like, oh, like... Okay, but then the next round it would be you doing that. Yeah, I guess we only we played like the first couple of decks, and already when you get to the second set of boss cards out of like eight potential decks, it's just getting pretty. Like you know, you're drawing draw three cards, right? And some of the rounds there'd be six dice required, which means like there's just no capacity for anybody to do any damage this round. Um, And some of them would be like five, which means it's like okay, well you know. There's literally only one capacity to do one damage each this round. And when a boss has 10 health, it's like, wow, this is, it's, yeah, again, I think it's interesting. And the reason I'm talking about it is like, you know, it's a game that like, as I say, if you are a sadist and you love hard little dexterity fast things and you also love Cuphead and you've got a friend who is equally sadistic and loves Cuphead, then this could be brilliant. You might love it. Yeah. And I think if you're a big fan of Cuphead, as is always the way with any franchise things, it's almost not worth saying, if you're a fan of this, you'll like it. <laughs> um, but... Um, I just found it really interesting and the fact that it's like, I think it kind of does manage to have a kind of semi-faithful recreation of that style of game in a way. 
do you feel like you're particularly in control of it? Because to me, it sounds like there's a lot of dice in this and a lot of a lot of doing it. Like, will you be able to? Is it is 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 the skill in this getting better at rolling dice quickly and making decisions quickly, or is it in getting lucky? Because like, I feel like that's where it might fall apart from. So the element of luck here is really it's interesting. In the fact that whenever whenever you re-roll your dice you do need to reroll all of your dice. So you can't be kind of tactically keeping stuff to one side and being like, well, that's going to be useful later. So it it really is a case of rapidly rolling stuff and then learning to rapidly pass the information in front of you and make snap decisions. And I think the tricky thing about that is really you kind of want to be memorizing everything you need because there is a chance that you will just roll your dice and then actually have like everything you need to fill up like the first three cards first two cards immediately right and you might not notice that and just put one dice down and re-roll them all you know so so there's an element of memory there's an element of passing and this is where things get like really mean and uh even in the second deck right the second kind of encounter it does a thing where it's like okay this is a flying level which means you're going to have like symbols on the cards that have a plane flying up and a plane flying down Obviously, your dice don't have those, which means that when it's a plane flying up, you need to use a jump. And when it's a plane flying down, you need to use a duck. And it's like, okay, this is the way you're going to play me, huh? So obviously, that's the nature of the game as it goes on is, is, is like you've got the same dice, but now it's like you're going to have symbols on these cards that you have to automatically remember are other symbols. So you're doing like mental arithmetic as you go. And the advantage is it's like, you know, you can actually like, you know, you get all the dice, you get all the cards out there and then you, you know, you start. So you have got a moment to like look at what you need ahead of time, but it's still, it's kind of just throwing wrenches at your brain in the hope that one of the wrenches is going to cause your engine to splutter um, in a way that again, uh, might be some people's flavor, but I don't know if it's, it's like interesting to look at, but it's like, gosh, this is oppressive, <laughs> but- just oppressive. <laughs> That's how I feel about this type of game, though, right? So that feels that feels right to me. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't. I'm not really interested in playing it, but I'm glad that it's doing what it should be to represent these fast reaction speed, pattern recognition, finger, finger, fingers uh, games. <laughs> finger, finger, finger games. <laughs> that's a classic technical yeah. term for the genre, yeah, it's a right? Classic genre, classic genre, <laughs> classic genre. Um, um, I do want to actually so, just jump in and uh, talk about if you like. Um, I haven't actually played the co-op mode of it, but like throughout all of this, it's been hard for me not to be thinking a little bit about Bullet Heart, um, which was a game that we talked about in a podcast previously. Me and Tom, I don't know what number that is, but maybe we can put that in the notes after the show. Um, and it is another game that is trying to be like very explicitly, this is the bullet hell genre of computer games put into a board game form. So it's also real time. It's also a bit luck dependent. Um, and it's also very much about pattern recognition and moving stuff quickly. Um, but there's also the core of it is a logic puzzle type thing almost of like you've got this grid of numbers and they drop in randomly but then you've got the ability to move them and shift them around and you're trying to make patterns that will let you remove some of those things and the more of those things come in Uh, but one of the things i like about it that i think it sounds like it's a bit different here is that with bullet heart it is the logic and brain that saves you 
and the randomness that kills you in a way that that feels right in terms of the balance of getting to feel satisfying. Mm. Like it's something coming out randomly and it just happens to be the worst number, so you go down. But then when you're working at it, it's mostly about what you can do to save yourself. And yeah, and I just, I think it's worth saying, it's got a co-op mode that I've not played, played it multiplayer and I quite like it. I think Tom was a lot less hot on it than I was. Um, so yeah, so that's one to add to the thought banks if you're thinking about buying this. Yeah, yeah. And I think the final thing I'd say about this actually is, is, is regarding orientation, which is something you mentioned earlier, of the fact that this is quite a large thing. Like the, the player boards you have are like these big chunky cardboard things um, and the, the cards you're putting out. Normal size cards, but there's they quickly add up to take up a decent amount of space. Um, so one of the things I found very interesting about it is when you're playing it, so you have, because the player board you have where you place the dice is kind of matching in size to the cards that are getting, getting placed on the boss sort of like tableau. If you have it like parallel or cl- the same direction, it's so much easier to pass like the kind of like the directions. Whereas when I found when we were playing it on a table where we didn't, we couldn't sit next to each other, we had to have it sideways. Like you would be the normal board when you're playing a board game across the table with people. Just that 90 degree shift of having like trying to map out your thing as one, two, three, four to another thing that was one, two, three, four, but sideways, live, which is so hard <laughs> in a way that did make me wonder. I was like, I, you know, I, I don't want to make assumptions, but I do wonder like something I said early on, I think when we were um, in the early days of the pandemic and everyone was just jumping into TTS and being like, Hey, actually TTS is amazing for prototyping and playing games and stuff. And there's a huge amount of truth to that, but I kind of did feel like we were going to see coming out of it games that had interesting little wriggly things in their design that maybe were the result of um of that the result of actually like uh, testing games in an environment that wasn't around a physical table because those environments are so difficult and again that is me completely like maybe that's just not true at all so if if people design this game are like well no actually that's wrong then i apologize but i think we are going to see that stuff and this may be one of those cases where the difficulty just rocketed up when uh, you weren't able to see the things flat in front of you in the way that you can on a screen Anyway, um, as I say, if you like uh, punishing yourself and Cuphead, it's kind of a bit of a Venn diagram there, and you have friends who might as well, then uh, check it out. Otherwise, it looks gorgeous, but oh gosh. (laughs) Ah! Well, thank you very much for that dicey... Wait, thank you? Am I thanking you? Thanks for listening. Yeah, why not? Thank them. Thank, thanks for listening. We really do appreciate it. Like, oh God, I, now I, I sound really ungrateful because I was like, is that what we say at the end of a podcast? Um. Well, I mean, like, people don't often, I guess, but maybe they should. <laughs> maybe they should. Thank you for listening. No, yeah, thank you for listening. I think we do normally say thank you for listening. Like, thank you for putting up with our yeah, weird probably digressions right. we probably and do. nonsense. Yeah. But, um, yeah. But I feel like when it's a specifically a, a Ava and Matt cast, then the, the digressions <laughs> and nonsense are kind of just like, Turned up to 11, I feel. Um. It's good, it's good. We definitely talked about some games and a lot of other stuff as well. It's good. Um, But yeah, thanks for putting up with that and I hope it was fun. And uh, this has been the Shut Up and Sit Down podcast. We were talking about Dice of the Dead and Cuphead, the rolling dice game. And that that was fun and that was nice. And we will see you again next week with another podcast, hopefully. Yes. Podcast. <laughs> Thanks, Matt Lees, for talking. Uh, I don't know what that was. Thanks Thank you. Me for talking. Thank you, for talking. For you for listening. And 
Bye. Bye. Bye.